Hey. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I'm so thankful for my crew, my family. Ah, I love you guys. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Uh, I, I'm like sidetracked now. Guys, thank you for your love for me. I love you. Um, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I hope uh, you are able to enjoy your 4th of July. I was reflecting on... Um, and what Brad mentioned last week, uh, he, he mentioned at one point, you know, I think it's odd that we um, celebrate our nation's independence with fireworks in the driest season of the year. And, you know, after experiencing this last 4th of July, I'd have to say I might agree with him, uh, though I love, I personally love fireworks. I mean, if you know anything about me, I, I, I love explosives, I love fire. And, and uh, actually what's, what's funny is um, in, in high school, we would do these things called chlorine bombs. And I even made it a, uh, in my public speaking class uh, in college. Um, I made that the subject because I was just like, man, it's so cool like how this works and it just makes a loud boom. And I love loud booms, you know? So I, lo- I love fireworks. Uh, we were, uh, my family and I, we were celebrating 4th of July over at my parents' house. And my parents' house on the other side of their backyard is a fence. And on the other side of the fence is like a 50-yard slope. And at the bottom of that slope is uh, a row of houses, their, their neighbors. And during the course of, of the evening and those fireworks everywhere around the neighborhood and somebody yells, fire! And everybody's like, oh. And we run over to this fence and we look on the other side of the fence and there is a 12 to 15 foot flame on the side of this house between the house and this tree. And we sprint into action. My dad, my, my brother and his buddy Jacob, uh, Brian's brother, they run out of the house, they run down the neighborhood, down towards the house, and I'm calling the emergency dispatch for the fire department, and I get off the phone with the dispatcher, and at that moment, I, I, I noticed that the, the neighbors uh, had no idea what was going on. They come out of their house into the backyard, and they're frantically looking around to see what's going on, and everybody from the backyard is yelling at them, like trying to tell them what's going on, and I jump over the fence, and I'm trying to explain to them that there's a huge fire on the side of the house, and by this point, it's already breached up into the roof, and there was a flame coming out of the top of the roof, and trying to explain to them that the fire is too big. It is too big for you to manage. You need to leave the house. You need to leave the property. And so Jacob, Dylan were in there trying to get, help get them out of the house, out of the property, and, and uh, my dad was over on the other side with the neighbor's hose uh, putting out the fire, and he did successfully put out that big flame, by the way, so go, go dad. Um, and the fire department showed up, though, when we got into the other side. And, man, you should have just seen these guys. They, they just jump into action. I don't know if you've ever seen them in action like this, but it is awesome. We just give a big round of applause for our firemen. They are, they are impressive. I mean, they show up, and they got, like, six guys that just jump onto the roof. They know exactly what to do. They cut a small hole in this roof, and they put out the flame. And, and luckily, the, the house uh, did not burn down. It, was, it did receive a lot of damage from the smoke and, and the fire, but... Uh, and for the family, the, they, and they, were, they, were, they were actually okay. They're, they're pretty well off, and it, wasn't, it didn't harm them too much. But everybody was okay. The fire didn't touch anybody, or, um, and, and it ended up going, going all right. And, you know, towards the end of it, I started to reflect uh, on myself, like how I interacted with the situation. And even in, even in the midst of the situation, at moments, I was like, Am I, what do I do? Am I doing the right thing? Or even at the end, I wondered to myself, did I... Did I do enough? Did I do what was needed, what the circumstance called for? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Am I doing enough? 
Am I doing maybe the right thing? Maybe you've asked that question in a circumstance like that. Maybe it's an emergency circumstance, or maybe it's a small little thing, or maybe it's a big, big life thing, just in general. I don't, I don't know. I've, am I doing enough in life? And uh, you may, the, the nature of the question is interesting uh, because it does, it, it's not quite complete. It is, uh, am, the question really should read, am I doing enough for, and then what? Am I doing the right thing for what? What is it that you're looking for when you ask that question? Are you asking if you're doing enough maybe to please God, to gain favor with him? Are you asking if you're doing enough or the right thing to succeed maybe in life or to survive or thrive in life, maybe to a, 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 obtain peace in life or, or reach your goals? For, there's many different ways. And for, for me, I find myself uh, wondering, what, what are the things that I must do that's, that's worth doing? Like, if, can I put myself in the right career to find, uh, find doing what is, what is most wor- uh, what's, what's right or what's, what's most beneficial? Can I make maybe the most perfect decisions to, to end up in some direction? And at the end for me, uh, what I'm asking this question for, am I doing enough or am I doing the right thing? I'm, ask, I'm really asking, am I doing enough to receive this life to the full, to be free to live life to the full? Am I doing enough or am I doing the right thing to obtain or to receive this? And we have a character in scripture who approaches Jesus with this very question. It's in Luke chapter 18. It says this, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Something about a a religious leader here in their context, you gotta understand this, religious leaders in their day, uh, they were rich for one, and they, and they were like highly esteemed. They were like held at, a, at an honor in their community, right? And, and if anybody in their community seems to have life to the full and be blessed, it is this man. So it's interesting that he's the one that's coming to Jesus, asking him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I want you to, we'll talk, I'll explain this a little bit, but I want you when you see internal life to, to understand that as it is life to the full forever, for eternity, okay? So we're gonna continue here. So Jesus responds, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus corrects him right off the bat. Hey, by the way, no one is good. There's no such thing as a good teacher, okay? You're not good, and you can't do enough good things, really, to become this good person that maybe you're hoping to become. But to answer your question, because I'm going to honor it, you're asking me a question. It may not be the best question or even the most helpful question, but I'll answer your question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what you can do obey these commands. And he gives a summary of five of the Old Testament, uh, the the Ten Commandments. These five are are a part of the bigger command of love thy neighbor. When Jesus is asked what are the biggest commands in scripture, um, he summarizes the law in uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love the neighbor as yourself. So right here, 
what we see is the, first, is the last half of the Ten Commandments referring to love your neighbor. And then he says, you know, love your neighbor just like the law has said. Do these things. And so let's see what the, the young man says. He says, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. What's interesting is that in Matthew's version, he actually adds a comment. He says, I've obeyed these things since I was young. What is it that I still lack? You get a, you get a picture for this man. He's like, I'm, I'm doing the thing. I'm doing the thing. And, and, you're, and you're telling me to do that thing, and I'm doing that thing. But I know in my heart, I'm missing it. I'm missing something. And so... Jesus, uh, Jesus answers him with this. Sorry, sorry, guys. Right back to this last slide. Let me finish that. Um, so Jesus wanting to answer it for him, he says, when he's answering this first question, just remember this. His first question, right, the religious leader is asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When Jesus heard this, his answer, he said, there's still one thing you have not done. So he's still answering the man's question. So if you're wanting to know what you must do and you're looking for something to do, here's what you do. Sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. In Matthew's version, it says, uh, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, here's what you can do. Sell all of what you have. And in Jesus saying, sell all of what you have, what he's doing is revealing in the man's heart that he is failing at the, big, the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What has his heart is money. The man, what, what Jesus is trying to reveal is that, okay, you are looking for the perfect thing to do, and I'm going to lay it out here for you. It is to love people perfectly, and it is to love God perfectly. If you want to know what you should do, that's what you should do. What's the man's response? When the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich, when Jesus saw this, he, saw, he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So uh, in Mark's version, we, the, we actually find out that the man, he's sad and he actually leaves the presence of Jesus. And uh, in Matthew, actually, it says that, that Jesus looks at him with love uh, as, 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 as he walks away. and says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice something here too. Um, so the man realizes, okay, you've told me what to do, and I realize I can't do it. I can't, I actually, turns out I can't be perfect. So then Jesus, he actually starts to shift the direction. So he's no longer at this point here, he's no longer answering the man's question. The man's question was, what must I do, right, to inherit eternal life? Jesus changes the direction. How hard it is for uh, the rich to enter the kingdom of God. At this point, a lot of times I think we, we tend to think those are the two of the same thing, that the kingdom of God and eternal life, uh, they are related, uh, but they are not the same. Um, when Jesus, he, he's saying it is, it is hard to enter the kingdom of God. Eternal life is a gracious gift for those who are citizens of God's kingdom. And what he's revealing here, though, is that uh, it is hard, he's, he is making the statement, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And let's, let's look at the, uh, the response, response of the people. Oh, actually, he continues to explain how it's hard. Um, in fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Some people kind of like try to explain this away and interpret this uh, in a way that makes it easier. What Jesus is trying to, trying to communicate is that it is impossible. It is impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And, and, it's, and it, you can get that conclusion by the response of the people. Then who in the world can be saved? 
So Jesus redirects the conversation and he actually arrives at a better question. A better question than what the religious leader asked. This question is more kingdom-minded. It actually fits the narrative of the kingdom more than the man's question. This question, who in the world can be saved? And you, and you understand why they reached this conclusion because this man is a religious leader and their society, he's at the, like, the cream of the crop. If there's anybody who's going to be in the kingdom of God and be like at the highest in God's kingdom, it's this man, this religious leader man. And Jesus revealed to him like, it's actually hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And now they're wondering, who in the world has hope then? If this kind of a person can't make it in, who can? Now Jesus has him. He has him asking the right question. How does he answer? He answers it like this. He says, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Religious leader failed to, to realize in the, in the nature of God's kingdom, you cannot look to yourself and do enough perfectly. You cannot love God enough or love people enough to earn eternal life, okay? You cannot do it. And in fact, you can't even enter into the realm of God's kingdom by, tr- by your own efforts. You can't force your way into it by doing the right thing. It has to be a work done by God. Now, with this conclusion, I want to take a moment to, we, we've just talked about the religious leader. I want to compare the religious leader story to another character who Jesus runs into right after this. And his, man, his name is Zacchaeus. But before I do, I just want to briefly highlight, I've been advised uh, in different ways, mostly from my wife. Uh, if you can pull up this, this, uh, this slide. Uh, I explain here, I know this is, this is a lot. Imagine this, this was like originally five slides, probably would have taken me 10 minutes to go through. I'm gonna try to summarize this in like a couple of statements, okay? But I want you to understand the context of what's happening around the story with, with this religious leader. Luke is uh, pulling in some of the story, uh, the parables that Jesus is telling to describe the nature of the kingdom of God. So in this context, of his parables, of his interactions with people and the miracles that he's doing, Luke is revealing this is the nature of the kingdom of God. And it involves the reality that it's invisible, that it's among you, that, um, that it involves people praying persistently for justice. It involves that, that humble are actually exalted. It's not those who exalt themselves, but the humble who are exalted. And it must, the nature of the kingdom of God is that it must be received like a child. You can't, uh, you can't make your way into it. It's actually impossible for man to enter into it or to earn it. And in fact, it's only possible by God. How is it possible by God? God's grace makes it possible for us to enter. Jesus actually, he says that, you know, the son of man has come to fulfill these prophecies. He's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to resurrect. This is how God makes it possible. And then we find out through the story of a blind beggar that it's actually through faith in Christ, the Lord, that we actually receive entrance into the kingdom of God. Okay, you follow me? How this, this is the nature of the kingdom of God. This is, Luke is, is working this narrative through, and then we arrive to Zacchaeus. So let's read the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich, the chief tax collector. I mean, you're talking about, we already know that tax collectors are, uh, or we, sorry, we don't, here I am. Uh, Tax collectors, you may not know. Um, Tax collectors are, uh, 
in their society, if the re religious leader is like the top of their society, tax collectors are like way down here, okay? Because for the Jewish people, these guys are chief of sinners. Like they're, they're nowhere near the kingdom of God, okay? Like they're not even the bottom end. They're like, they're rejected from the kingdom of God. Understand that? So we have this kind of man. He's not only a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector. Like he is like, like to be stepped on and maybe some other worse things, okay? Uh, that's who this man is. Okay, continue. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So Zacchaeus, he's too short to see over the crowd. He's trying to look at Jesus. So when he, he runs ahead and climbs a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by. Picture this. He is, as Luke was talking about earlier, right? He's, he is acting like a child. He is running to Jesus. He is climbing up a tree. Rich people that day, they, they don't run and they especially don't climb a tree, right? Like that is, that is embarrassing. And he is running and he's like, ah, I can't wait to see Jesus. Then let's, let's continue here. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. You see how Jesus is responding to this man? His humility already calls him by name. It's great. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus into his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. They say he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Oh, man, we are such a foolish people, aren't we? Um, so, uh, I actually lost myself here one second. Let me just think. Um, okay. At this point, oh, okay, we're going to continue. I'm sorry. Keep going. Whew. I don't know. That's probably my noise right now. Like, oh, I'm over here. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. Okay, let's continue. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the, Lord, or, uh, to the poor. Lord. That's important right here. I wish I would have had that bold. That was a mistake on my part. How does the uh, religious leader respond to Jesus? Calls him a what? Good teacher. Remember that. He calls him a good teacher. Zacchaeus identifies him as Lord. It's a very big difference. I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And I have, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. This is, I have to imagine that when, when Zacchaeus gets to welcome Jesus into his home, he actually gets to be with Jesus. And in being in the presence of Jesus, talking with Jesus, he comes to realize who, more fully, who he is. Not only is he a Lord, but, but uh, that, he's, that he's actually gracious and merciful and like ready to receive me. Like, whoa, like who is, who is God at the end of the day? Wow. Okay, continue. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Okay. For the people reading this text, you got you to like picture this. One, okay, this man is a chief of sinners and he's rich. Did not Jesus just say that it's really hard for the, like almost impossible, right? For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then we have a, a rich person, but not just a rich person, a rich, like horrible sinner person who's entering into the kingdom of God, okay? Let's continue. Oh, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, doing that again. <laughs> okay. My next slide on the nature of the kingdom of God, please. <laughs> okay. So I just listed out for you the, uh, what Luke is doing in order, right? 
he ends with the story of Zacchaeus, and we find that salvation is available to anyone. The poor, the rich, and even the chief of sinners. But what's the difference? What's the difference in the story between the, the religious leader and Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector? Let's, let's do some comparison. See if we can come to the end of it here. So one, for the religious leader on this side, Zacchaeus on this side, religious leader had faith in himself. He was looking to himself, what must I do? What must I do? Zacchaeus had faith in Jesus. It's like, ah, oh, I think he might have some grace for me. Point two, religious leader seeking a teacher. Like, what must I do if you're a good teacher? I see you're a good teacher. You just tell me what to do. I'll do it, and then I'll have what I'm looking for. Zacchaeus is seeking grace. Oh, like if you just come into my home, and he's coming into my home, he's, and he's receiving, right? You see this? Number three, religious leader remains in slavery. Zacchaeus has freedom. Religious leader is still in the slavery of like, ah, oh, what must I do? I got to do this thing, and like, nah. Zacchaeus his freedom. He is experiencing his freedom to just like give, right? Four, religious leaders receives sorrow. Zacchaeus receives life. Religious leader, point five, has money, but Zacchaeus has a kingdom. The missing link here for these guys is that Jesus is not just a good teacher. He is the gracious Lord of God's kingdom. And when you see Jesus for who he truly is, as this gracious Lord, you approach him as Lord, as God of creation, but you know that he is gracious. And so what do you do when you approach the Lord who is gracious? You humble yourself before him. Jesus gives that parable, right? Where the man there's a Pharisee, right? He comes into the temple and the Pharisee walks into this temple and is like, ah, oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like this terrible tax collector over here. And, you know, I tithe and I, I do all these great things and uh, thank you, God, I'm not like this person. And, but it's the tax collector in the story who he is afraid, he doesn't even approach the, the entrance, like the center of the room, the glory of God. He humbles himself down and won't even look up to heaven and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that it is this man, this man who receives, ju receives justification or is approved by God. We have to see that Jesus is Lord and that he is gracious, okay? That is the entrance, the entrance into the kingdom. Okay, let me ask you this question. Do you do you feel free? Have you entered into the kingdom? Because when you enter into the kingdom, you start to receive the gift of life. Okay? Paul says it this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I just love this. This is the heart of our God. He wants you to have freedom. Okay? He wants us to have freedom and he has set us free in order that we can have freedom. Do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. The tax collector, my original question, right? Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? It's, it's showing that I'm heading in the wrong direction. I'm not having a correct view of our God because our God is gracious. Paul says it this way, again, later in uh, chapter five, Galatians 5, 4. 
If you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. So there's an entry to enter into the kingdom of God is a need to receive Jesus as the gracious Lord that he is in your life. So that's your entrance. But how, how is it that we are to remain in his freedom that he gives? How do, how do we actually remain, stay there? And to answer that question, I want us to, to go back and finish the story uh, that we started with Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Peter actually interjects. You know, after Jesus says what is impossible for man uh, is possible with God, Jesus, uh, Peter says this. Peter says, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. What we have here is an invitation to stay under the gracious lordship of Jesus. When we wake up, I woke up this morning and I was just humbled by this truth that he is a gracious Lord and it gave me strength and power to let, go into the day knowing that, I, that he is my king and he's going to graciously carry me throughout the day if I just remain under his gracious lordship. And there's only lots of blessing and life to come from living a life in this way. And for the disciples, they've experienced some of that because they now, knowing that Jesus, knowing his grace and his lordship, they are free to give and they're giving towards what? The kingdom of God, their love and affection is for something that is eternal, that is lasting, that is present, as Jesus said, right? It is among you, but it is not to the full. One day when Jesus returns, he will bring his kingdom in the full and we will have salvation on earth. But in the meantime, we are invited to be a part of God's kingdom coming to earth. We kid ourselves if we, come to, if we think that God's will is being done on this earth. It doesn't take long in living life to realize that there's a lot of crazy, horrible things that go on in life, right? But our hope is that his will will be done, that his kingdom will come. And in the meantime, we are invited to live under the, the, the gracious lordship of Jesus and live in his kingdom and be a part of his kingdom coming. And man, that is such a wonderful gift that the work that I do now has eternal and implications for the, the kingdom that is to come in full. You follow me here? Live under life under the gracious lordship of Jesus. That is what is encouraged. If you, want to, if you want to remain in freedom, live your life under the gracious lordship of Jesus. When he invites you to give generously, uh, do it. Paul, Paul later says uh, in Galatians 5, 6, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. My faith and trust is not in what I can do. It's interesting is uh, Jesus tells the rich man, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then Zacchaeus only sells half of what he has. He's the poor. It's interesting. He doesn't do what's perfect or required, right? Because what he's received is the gracious Lord and he responds in love. He sees the value of the kingdom and he's like, you know what? I want to give up half of what I have. That's what I want to do because I, I see what you're doing. I know who you are and this is what I want to give. And you know what? If I've done anybody wrong, I'm, I'm going to pay him back double fold because you, you, you see that, that there's a different kind of response. Even for Peter, he leaves his house only to return later, right? Because he has a family. <laughs> uh, so 
like there's, you have these moments of sacrifice where, where it's like, you're in, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation to join in what God is doing in his kingdom. And it, man, there's only life and joy to come from that. You have to receive it because it is a gracious, a gracious gift. I want to uh, take a moment just to share with you a little bit of my, about my life journey. Everybody has a, a spiritual journey that is unique to them. There's one thing that remains constant, though, in our journey. It is that, that God is at work in you to form you into a loving person, right? Like, you cannot make yourself become a perfect, uh, lo- God-loving, uh, people-loving person by doing certain things, right? You have to receive Jesus as his gracious Lord. And as you respond to him as Lord, he gives you moments where you can say yes to something or no to something. And in saying yes to this, to what he's saying, and he's, as he's leading you by his spirit, he begins to transform your heart. Because at the end of the day, God wants his kingdom to come. He has sent his son, Jesus, to deal with the biggest problem. The biggest problem is our hearts, right? Our hearts have a problem. He wants to soften our hearts, because, that our hearts may be actually become hearts of love, hearts that truly love God and love people. And this is the mature Christian. The mature Christian isn't some guy on a stage who knows a bunch of things about scripture and can tell you a bunch of cool things. Maturity comes from the, is the person who is, who has embraced the loving grace of Jesus and is living it out in their life, right? And, and that's an invitation for, for all of us. So in, in my life, and in my, the journey that, that the Lord has, has, has led me on, there's been different moments of struggle and strife and, um, and invitations to take the next step in faith. And I would love to say that I said yes to every opportunity that the Lord gave to me, but I, I have not. Uh, there are moments that I did and moments that I didn't, but um, I'll share with you just a, a, a couple of those, of those moments. In, um, when I was a sophomore in college, I, I had a really like tough uh, moment with the Lord. I was, I was feeling some depression, anxiety, a bunch of like really deep, dark stuff. And in that time, I was, I was doubting the existence of God. I was like, how in the world? I was asking all the big questions, right? The evil in the world, all the things. And, and uh, I remember I reached a moment. I was for the Lord just met me in a moment. I was parked out in front of uh, Biola's campus. And I parked there and I just like sat for a moment in this confusion and all the, all the mess. And I look at this tree that's, par- that's sitting right in front of me. And it's a man-planted tree, but just the way the, the breeze was hitting and the sunlight was hitting, it was like glistening and like, I don't know what just happened. It was just like, all of a sudden, I just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, God's real. Like, I, I don't know why. But it was just like, I hit this conclusion. Like, like, I know I have all these questions and things, but I can't deny, I cannot deny that, that God is real and that, he, and that he's good. And so then I, obviously, and that's revealed most perfectly in Jesus, right? We see that in Jesus, but for me, that was a moment that I, that I, I needed, and I received, I received that. And then I go into my, my junior year of college, and I experience a radical moment. Uh, I have a, a, a man I never met before pray over me and, and pray very specifically in my life the things that I was struggling with. It was a miraculous moment. Uh, and he was encouraging me that it's like, it's okay to step into ministry if that's what you want to do, like do it. And it was just like, oh, like, and I felt like the presence and peace of God. It was like just a great and eventually he actually said, like, he said, I have this vision of you, like, uh, preaching in the desert. And, like, 
I'm in the desert right now preaching. Like what? Like that hit me like a month, like a year and a half ago. It was like all of a sudden, like the God Spirit just reminded me, like, oh my gosh, like what? The Lord is so gracious to me. So then I wish I could tell you, like, oh yeah. So my junior year, I like I switched degrees or something. I don't know. Like, and I went this path, and but my senior year, I just became like concerned. I was like, wait, but am I doing the right thing? Do I need to? Uh, I think what I should probably do is do this internship because this internship would be beneficial, you know, to get a secure job. And like, I think that's, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and so then I go down this path and I like very quickly realize after graduating, like, I hate this job. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to do this job. And I'm like talking to friends and family, like, yeah, like stop doing that job. And I was like, oh gosh, I don't know what to do. And then like, I, I go up to a, I quit the job. I don't know what's next, but I, I apply for some things and I, uh, I get offered a job to do this management role there in California. And, and I go up onto this mountain and I spend some time praying with the Lord. And going up the mountain, I was like, man, I'm going to take this job and I'm thankful for this job. But like, I could see it happening. Like I get a certain amount of income. I'm like, I get the, I see the people I'm going to do life with for a bit. Like this sounds pretty cool. And uh, I go up on the mountain. And the other thing I was thinking about was like going back home to Vegas where I'm from, Henderson. And which I didn't want to do because in my mind, that was kind of like a like failure to me. It was like going back home. But I, I pictured, uh, what I had was a vision of like God's kingdom at work in, in Vegas. And like during that prayer of time, like the Lord just softened my heart to like want to, want to join that, whatever it is that he's doing. I didn't even know what it meant. Like, well, I, like I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do it. Like I don't, I like maybe I, like my parents are in real estate. I might do some real estate with them or something. I don't know. But whatever it is, I'm just going to go. And what's, what's crazy, I'm just giving you an insight. Who is Tyler? This is it. So I'm like, I'm driving down that mountain. That's like super spiritual. Like I'm so stoked. And I get burdened by this thought, do I need to sell my truck and like, and give, give the money away? And just like, I don't know, how am I going to get to California? I don't know. Or to Nevada. And like, I'm like wrestling with that. It's like, I just, I just think of our gracious Lord, just like, ah, Tyler, it's okay. Like, I don't know why you're holding on to this burden, but, uh, but he's so gracious to me, right? So I, I get off the mountain. I don't sell my truck. Um, I go home and I get a, I get a text from my buddy, uh, Frank, who I hadn't talked to in a few months. And, and, uh, I can't remember if it was a text or a call. I think I called him because, uh, he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm taking over this college ministry called Create. And I was just like, man, it'd be really cool for you to join. I don't know what you're doing right now. It's like literally that day, I said, yes, the Lord, I'm going to the, like, I'm going to join you in the kingdom work in Nevada. And I don't even know what it looks like, but then he just throws this opportunity in my lap. Like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> so I, I moved back to Vegas. I do, I do some real estate and, and try to stay, remain in, uh, in, in, in ministry in some way with the college ministry. And uh, at one point, like, so I'm there and I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm excited to join in what God's doing. I don't know all of what that looks like yet, but then I start to make a plan of how it's going to work. So in my mind, this is how the plan worked. It's like, I'm going to go in real estate. I'm going to build a successful business and I'm going to like, I'm going to financially fund myself for ministry. Cause I don't like, I don't want to like look to other people to like, I just want to like, I want to go do the thing. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know, so you're just laughing, especially the people who like live more life. Like that's, that's funny. Uh, and it's like, okay, uh, I reached this moment and uh, I go to this, this missions conference and I'm like feeling the burden of my plan a little bit. Like, ah, oh, man, this is like a lot. Like, how am I going to do this? And I get to this missions conference and 
in prayer, scripture, and also in this encounter with my, with my pastor who was there uh, for that conference, I received this word, uh, stop and listen. I was like, what I had received, like I, I just felt like that's what God was telling me. Stop and listen. What he was saying was, I know you got this plan you have in front of you. Stop that and just listen for what I have. And that scared the living daylights out of me. It's like, whoa, 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 you want me to stop building this business, like getting like head in this direction and just to listen? What does that mean? Am I going to become like, am I going to become like John the Baptist and go out into the desert or something? Like what's, what is next? What does that mean? And I was, I was afraid to make the decision. It took a couple weeks and really some like, I wish I could tell you I just boldly entered into it, but it was like some circumstances happened where it just kind of like happened that way. And I was like, okay, um, I guess I'm going to stop now. And, uh, and I'm not sure what to do. And I'm a little nervous about this. And then, so I take some time to be with the Lord and he takes me to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And I read about Abraham. And in that text, it says, uh, Abraham obeyed the voice of God, even though he did not know where he was going. I was like, Oh God. He just like touched my heart. I, God, I have no idea what I'm doing, (laughs) but I'm going to head in this direction. Generally, I know you're calling me that way. I'm going to go that way. Like, just carry me, please. And he did. Like, even later that week, like, okay, I stopped, but I, I took on an assistant role for, uh, from a mom's partner broker. He was looking for an assistant to come alongside him. And over the course of the next year and a half, I kept my license, but I was just, I was working as an assistant. I wasn't building anything anymore. And I had this, like, weird piece of, like, man, I'm right where I need to be right now. And, uh, and uh, through that process, at, at one point, I feel like, okay, I think I'm supposed to go to seminary. Like, I'm, I'm excited to go to seminary. I'm going to go to seminary. And I pray to the Lord, Lord, will you please provide the financial means for me to go to, go to seminary? Because, like, in my heart, I was just like, I do not want to take out debt for this. Like, I'd, like will you just provide? It took literally nine months, business after business being handed to me from this partner broker. He's giving me like percentage of his business to help take care of. And then it's topped up with at the ninth month, uh, a lady in our office, she bypasses all the stellar agents in our, uh, you know, um, agency could have came to my broker. She comes to me and she's like, my husband and I just really feel like we want you uh, to sell our house for us. I was like, Oh, wow. And then at the end of it, I sell her house. And I kid you not, guys, I am just a few hundred dollars over the requirement for seminary to pay for the whole program by the end of nine months. God provides this. And my, my wife and I, we get married during that time, Amanda, and we head out to North Carolina. We go, um, and I, there wasn't really any like big moments like that in North Carolina. It was just like kind of a steady trusting in the Lord of like, okay, like I was, my job was, I was in crawl spaces and attics, like way different than selling homes, right? Now I'm like under these homes and I'm with bugs and like, and f- gross fungus stuff that I got to clean and whatnot. And, and uh, that was actually kind of confusing for me. I was like, what am I doing this for? And uh, God, like, and it wasn't good income, like monthly, there was moments where God just graciously like provided random things for us to, to have uh, for the month. And and then, uh, and then eventually God, we feel, Amanda and I feel like God's leading us back to come back here to Vegas. And there's a few different things that happen in both like involving circumstances, involving the conversations we're having with the people in our life at the time, uh, our church community, and, you know, obviously this communion with God and scripture and each other. And, and uh, with this conclusion, like, okay, we're going to go back to Vegas. And 
like we had this vision of like being planted over here. We're going to be planted here, and we're, we're trusting that the Lord's just going to do things around us for his kingdom. And, uh, and then we end up joining the, the church at Lake Mead and, and getting to be a part of what God's doing here. I take on this part-time role, and at, uh, at one point, I'm invited to come on to the church full-time. And because at that time, I was part-time real estate stuff, part-time church stuff. And, and uh, I'll tell you, I was nervous. I was nervous about coming on full-time uh, in ministry because it was just like, oh, like that's going to take up all my time. And I'm like excited for that, but I'm also like, I know like income-wise, I know real estate's going to be a little bit better uh, than, than what. And, and what's interesting, the month that I, we had to make that decision was like not a good month for us financially. Um, and during that month, um, I was selling a house uh, for a friend, and the nature of the course of the event, to make sure that they got the house they wanted, I forfeited the, the commission on the home. And so I was like, it was a, like extremely hard buyer's market, right? I could explain that, whatever. Um, but uh, I, I had an, an opportunity at one point to earn 1%, because I actually helped them with the sale and the purchase. One of the sale of their home, I could have earned a percent, but I let that go. And in that month, I'm, I'm challenged with this question of like, do I enter into this full-time, uh, like going into ministry role? And uh, Amanda and I are working through that, and we just decide, you know what, like, I feel like God's leading us that in that direction, and so we're, gonna, we're just going to do that. And guys, I kid you not, this is crazy. A week later, I get a text uh, from someone in our church. Um, he knows no idea of what's going on. He says, what is your Venmo account? I was like, it's a weird question to just start asking somebody. I sent it to him. I was like, here's my Venmo. Want to send me money? Uh, <clears throat> and uh, he said, he sends me some money. And he says, my wife and I were praying, and we felt like we needed to send this to you guys. The money he sent me was this within $100 of what I would have earned from that commission on the sale of that home for 1%. And God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. But he just graciously reminded me that he's present. That in this journey of faith, of seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and making disciples, that he truly is with me. He's with me. And I had one final moment I'll just share real quick. Earlier this year, I was, I was in a Bible study with B. Cho. Where are you at, B. Cho? Are you in here? Bicho, there he is. Bicho, and I, I do a Bible study with Bicho and Curtis. We're going through Hebrews together. And, and uh, Curtis, uh, uh, Brandon and I were going through Hebrews 4. And there was this moment, like I was just, I was doing a lot. I was trying to do too much at once. And uh, I felt like the Lord just told me that I could trust, like he, he was asking me to rest. In this passage, understanding the context is that the people because you've received Christ, you can receive rest. And the people who've received rest can actually rest from doing work. And in that moment, uh, I realized I was not taking a Sabbath. I wasn't like, because I was nervous about the, the results of my work. Like, you know, at the time with children's ministry, I was like, but th some things have to get done to make sure people are there and on time or whatever. And eventually I was just like, okay, I'm going to take a step of faith here. And I'm just not going to work on Saturday the day before. And you know, if everybody cancels for children's ministry, I don't know what we're going to do, but the Lord's going to provide. And, and it was crazy. Week after week for months, I did that. And sure, people canceled here and there, but like people come up to me and be like, hey, like I'm here ready to serve for kids. I mean, obviously people who are approved through our system. Uh, but they're just like, hey, I decided like, do you need me today? Yes, I need you. Come. And like, 
I just got to see, like, as I just took that step of faith of just trusting in him, uh, I got to see, got to see how, he, how he truly is a gracious Lord. So I want to ask you, what is your next step? What is your next faith step? For some, it may be for the first time receiving Jesus as the gracious Lord that he is. And in that, you are welcomed and you get to enter into the eternal work of his kingdom. And this, his kingdom, actually, you get the hope of his kingdom coming fully on earth and, uh, and to participate in that. And for some of us in the, in, in the room, I just want to ask, like, you can't, I want to say, you can remain in freedom if you remain under the gracious lordship of Jesus. Just trust him. Whatever the next step it is that he has for you, it may be selling all your possessions. It may be selling half of your possessions. It may just be leaving your home for a time. I don't know. Those are pretty big ones. It may be as simple as uh, just trust me and take the day off. Uh, whatever it is, there's, that he invites us throughout the day and in weeks to trust him as our gracious Lord. And I want to end with this last statement. It is in receiving Jesus as Lord that you are free. Sorry, I've like skipped some things. Very end there. I think. And it, it says, in receiving Jesus as Lord. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> in receiving Jesus as Lord, you are free to live life to the full under his gracious lordship. What matters is faith working itself out in love. Put your faith in him, not yourself. Put your faith in the gracious Lord. Live life in love in his, in his kingdom. You are free to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, God, I just uh, so thankful for my church family, Lord. Uh, just how your people who you send to speak a word, and thankful for Chris, Lord, just his encouragement this morning, and my wife Amanda, and friends and family are here, and just for this church family, um, thankful to get to do life with them and learn how to live life under your gracious lordship together. And pray that you'd guide us by your spirit for each person, Lord. Your spirit would just convict our hearts. What is that next step you're calling us to? And you just provide. Lord, as we, as we step forward in faith. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.